Welcome back, listeners. We are rolling through and just talking through different topics. It's interesting. I'm here with Michelle today. We're talking a little bit about continuing rolling off our engagement discussion on surveys with John. And we wanted to continue driving this discussion on how to keep employees engaged. We want to kind of pivot a little bit of our series into this because I think it's really important and critical to talk through for us to really focus on this discussion and then help make momentum. And the topic we're talking about is mental health and wellness in HR. And we actually recently read an article about this from Francesca DiMeglio, who wrote a specific article on the HR exchange about this. And so Michelle, when you, you're the one that kind of brought this up and have an article ready to go, like, what were your thoughts when you were sort of like, how did this come up? Talk to our listeners a bit about this. So it's interesting. First of all, sorry about the voice, guys. It's one of those things. It's called the flu. (laughs) But it's interesting when you really start to talk about employee engagement. You said this in our first podcast. You said... There's so much involved. You have to think broadly. And what we're finding is that mental health continues to increase as a priority concern for employees. And you know, whatever that is for your specific employee, I think what you'll find is everybody's in a slightly different place. So as a result of that, they're all going to have unique issues But what we're finding overall is that employees, they're burnt out. They're tired. We've known it for 10 years that people, companies are trying to do more with fewer people, but it continues to increase and amplify based on where the workforce is in the world right now. We talk about the fact that Very few retail or restaurants that I visit don't have a sign that says now hiring, which means that while over the course of 10 years, we were already trying to reduce labor and having people do more jobs. But now with that cut labored force, you're now even cutting from that labor force. And so... Topics like resilience, I think we keep talking about those things like you need to be resilient, you need to bounce back quickly. But what we're ignoring is the fact that it's not always that easy. Sometimes where people are is hard. It's hard to be there. And it's also hard to bounce back from it without the right support and the right resources. Now, I'm in no way, shape, or form suggesting that leaders need to start counseling people because they're not equipped to do that, or most of them are not going to be equipped to do that. But it is time that we stop making mental health a taboo issue, and we embrace the fact that people come to us as a whole person with their feelings, their emotions, their highs and their lows. And as a workforce, if you want to maximize 
your employees, it means that you have to look out for their well-being physically and mentally, at least to the point that you're giving them resources. I want to pause for a second because I actually said look out for their well-being and I want to step back from that. And I want to say it's not your job to keep someone else healthy, but as an employer, it is your job to find solutions that can help your employees stay healthy if they choose to do so. And so in my mind, mental health and wellness is one of the topics you've got to address if you're going to have a fully engaged workforce. When you take a look, you need to process that. And everyone keeps asking, and I kind of did at the beginning too, and I was in the struggle of it all, but like, why is burnout happening so much, right? And why am I like mentally like challenged with everything? And it's like, around the world, this is an issue because I know that people think it's just focused in areas where we drive hard as a workforce population. So taking a look at like, for example, the US, we're known to work very hard or have not a ton of work-life balance, but you're seeing it around the world as a challenge. And, you know, when the pandemic first started, I think it was mainly focused on, you know, you're at home by yourself sometimes for what we thought was going to be two weeks. And then you created, as they say, a habit because we well, maybe it was a little over two weeks, but 21 days is essentially the day of you creating a habit. And you just naturally turn on your computer when you're at home and there's no sports on, there's no updates to movies, there's nothing coming out and you've seen everything or you have no interest in engaging anywhere else. So the only thing on the news is depressing negative stuff about the coronavirus or whatever else was transpiring, right? So these items created a shift for us. And I also, during those two to three weeks and even a couple months after that, companies were downsizing, right? You saw a lot of layoffs. I mean, I did just in like the talent acquisition realm, right? Because like no one's hiring. So let's downsize our TA team, which is usually not the first department to go. But you saw a lot of layoffs across the globe from companies. And then, you know, obviously things have subsided a little bit, but you do notice that the company tried to reassess their structure and you still see people doing more with less. They didn't bring back their same staff. And it's interesting because we can have conversations all day about the amount of work people are doing. You can backfill them. There is an article, and this is a whole nother conversation, right? You can backfill them with two to three other people. And that's what companies are finding that they're doing is that they've overworked some of their most dedicated people. And then when they find out how much work that person actually did when they left, they're backfilling them with two to three people. And the person who was in that role never got a raise for all the work that they were doing. So it's frustrating mentally when you're trying to explain that to leaders And they just don't get it. It is. It's incredibly frustrating. And I think you nailed it that the global crisis and even the political, the social crisis that we're seeing have absolutely played a key role in changing things. So I want to think back to something 
my dad told me, he said, my dad, his entire life, he was a mechanic. He started as being a mechanic for someone else. And eventually he started his own business. He was really very successful and very happy. But as you can imagine, being a mechanic is super laborious, hard work, especially when you think about his generation, a lot of technology didn't exist that exists now for people, right? And I remember him always looking at me and saying, well, it's not like you do anything. And what he was talking about, he wasn't trying to insult me. That wasn't the point. But he was thinking that work is physical. And he was comparing the fact that what I do, my friends laugh and they tell me that I make up stuff for a living because it's hard to quantify exactly what you do in a role as an HR professional. So they just say I make up stuff, right? My dad felt the same way. And he would always say, it's not like you're doing anything, but we live in a culture where we don't acknowledge the stress and the burnout that comes from mental stress. And so now you take the fact that, like you said, we're in a crisis. You remove all outlets except for really bad ones like buying alcohol from the ABC store. You remove going out to restaurants, hanging out with friends. Many of the states in the United States, whether it was enforced or not, is irrelevant. They made laws that you would get fined or ticketed if you had events with more than immediate family or more than a few people in your house. There was no more going out of those four walls for quite a while. So now, like you said, your work starts to creep over into everything. You're doing multiple people's jobs because of layoffs. You constantly cycle through your to-do list over and over again and all of the things. And at a certain point, it becomes overwhelming. It becomes impossible to think about all of it. And so people start to stop and they start to shut down. And because it's a topic we don't address, it's difficult even for employees to remind you of the resources that are available. Because how do you as a leader go to an employee that seems burnt out and suggest that they take advantage of something like an employee assistance program, it's an uncomfortable conversation. I would say it's more uncomfortable than correcting someone's performance because it has always been taboo to talk about people's inner thoughts and mental health. And I think that's the gap that we need to get across if we're going to remind people that there are options out there. And I think it's going to take us being creative. In the article that you and I read, they had some pretty unique ideas that I had not actually considered. Most of us consider the fact that your health programs need to offer some sort of mental health support in your insurance We all think about EAP, well, at least 
from an HR perspective, we think about EAP. Doesn't mean the employees or our leaders do. But there's some other things to think about that didn't come to my mind, but it also is going to require training because how do you train a manager to say, hey, I can see you're really struggling with something and I want you to know that we have resources that can help you. Yeah, it's interesting because EAP is one of the most underutilized resources in an organization, right? You do get like, and with some companies, three to five sessions free per situation. And it's like, why not take advantage of that? Most people are actually just going to their doctor and paying outright for this. But yeah, let's talk through a little bit about what they suggest as far as taking a look. So obviously, medical insurance that covers mental health, which I feel like most do, but when you take a look at globally, sometimes they don't, which is interesting. EAP, mental health first aiders, which means this is a profession who works on staff or on call for the business. So employees have someone to support them as things come up. I never thought about this one, actually. I didn't either. And when when we saw it, I immediately thought it's sort of like a guidance counselor in high school or in your school, right? It's someone who can take on the counseling part of mental health while they may not be able to address the medical or the medicinal diagnosis part. They can absolutely help you talk through situations. Obviously, in conjunction with that, I totally agree on taking a look at training for managers, leaders, and peers. I think that's super, super important because it's super interesting to see that so many managers don't just take a moment to recognize where there's challenges there. So I think that's actually most critical for leaders in the workplace. Yoga, meditation, Zen apps or Zen rooms, mental health days parameters around working hours and respecting people's time. And so those are all the recommendations that they have. You know, it's interesting respecting people's time. I feel like in certain countries, it's almost frowned upon to have a work-life balance. It is. I actually remember a job that I took a few years ago where a comment was made that Uh, the leader went home and they were leaving at about 6.30 in the evening. And they said, I was shocked. There was no one else in the office. And we're talking about an office that starts at eight o'clock in the morning. So I would hope there was no one in the office, but he said it in a way that implied he was upset about it. And I think that's what we do. It's funny when it comes to respecting people's time, We do things passive-aggressively to create the stigma that you have to work harder, but we do them anyway. And so since they're coming from a passive-aggressive place, people don't address them. And it could be as easy as that comment, there was no one in the office when I went home at 6.30, right? It could also be the fact that your boss is emailing you from as early as 5, 6 o'clock in the morning to as late as 12, 1 o'clock in the evening. And by saying that you shouldn't work those times, yeah, actually I am, but I am not you and I don't know 
what your sleep preferences are, what your work schedule is. So I'm not going to tell you not to do that. What I am going to say is there's this nifty little invention called delayed send that should be acceptable. You know, I have worked with people who feel like they have to be on call 24 hours a day. And guys, I don't work and I have never worked in an industry that requires being on call. Whether you're talking about the medical field, first responders, the military, where those are environments where you could see someone being expected to respond at multiple times throughout the day. I can get it. I've never worked in that industry and my friends are not, that's not where they work either. I'm talking about people that work in restaurants, that work in retail, that get random calls that they should have to be answering at three o'clock in the morning. And so in lots of countries, there's this prevalent belief that because you have a phone in your back pocket or whatever, I can reach you any time of the day. So I expect a response anytime I reach out to you. And it's frustrating. And I don't know that my generation is going to change. But what I do see is that the generations that are coming after me, they grew up with the impact of their parents or people like me being tethered to a device or a laptop or thinking and talking about work all the time on the phone constantly. And they're starting to acknowledge that that's not the way they want to live their lives. Maria, you and I have talked a lot about this because we both had very similar experiences. Well, similar events happen, not the way they happen, but just going back four years for both of us, there's been a lot of loss in our lives with people that we care about. And whether it was through death or just through people being burnt out and drawing in themselves and killing out the rest of the world or ignoring the rest of the world, right? And we've got to realize at some point that you only get this one chance. This isn't a dress rehearsal for the big show. This is the big show. And in some businesses, in some countries, in some people, we're spending all of that time doing work that may or may not even matter 10 years from now. Wow, I feel like our podcast just changed to a different topic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's all relevant as far as when you think about where people's minds shift and where they go as they're thinking about things. I think you're right. Like where we're going in the future has, is it relevant? Is it not relevant? And then what you're doing now, you know, people are on LinkedIn all the time making comments, quite frankly. I've never seen this more often in social media, but like if you were to pass today, your job would be backfilled. Like, so why are you giving so much loyalty, right? And 
this aspect of loyalty has gone out and diminished as well. And I think that's a part of mental health. And that could be a whole conversation in itself, because we know that the baby boomers generations obviously were used to working at the same job for a million years. And we've talked about this topic a little bit. And now so much it's like, there's this lack of loyalty to organizations because they have lacked loyalty to their employees. More things are changing, more priorities are pivoting. I think that's the most important part, quite frankly. And I think these topics that are in this article, that's what people care most about. And how your company is engaging and creating a culture with you, that's the most important part to stop and smell the roses and enjoy life because life is short. And that's what's most impactful today to people. Will it be the same in 10 years? I don't think so. I think things will continue evolving and changing and things will continue reprioritizing and shifting. And that's what keeps us on our toes in HR. Yeah, it absolutely. You know what? So let's think about a couple of pieces of advice that we can give people. Here's one of them that I'm willing to bet every HR partner on the planet can relate with this. In most places, if HR is even lucky enough to be a topic in every weekly leadership meeting, it's usually just to ask you what's new or what's coming up. Perhaps it's time to shift that paradigm to stop just focusing on what is new or what's happening or when the new benefits are rolling out. Maybe it's time to engage your leaders in conversations about how their people are doing, what they are hearing. And then that can help you drive to find those gaps of where your team is suffering. So that's what I would say. Start by changing the conversation in those leadership meetings and focus more on what is happening with our people and then build your solutions based on what you find out. Yeah, I think that gives you obviously a better opportunity to really target what's going on in your organization because you may have one thing, you know, you may have EAP, but either employees aren't knowledgeable about it or that may not be the big need for that, your organization. So I think you need... Like Michelle said, target the solutions based on the the comments and the reviews. I think another solution, obviously, outside of targeting your own solutions, but I think it's just stop and absorb what's transpiring in having conversations with individuals, but just try to identify and market what other companies are doing, what suggestions are out there that are aligned to similar organizations as yours. What's going to work for a manufacturing organization, for example, it's not going to be the same that what works for a technology company, right? So I think you need to also prioritize that and how you're running your day-to-day business. Are you giving people their space when they do have time off? Things like that. Like, are you just processing the work-life balance? More companies are taking a look at the four-day work week or they're taking a look at you know, mandatory days off during the the month or the week, because I mean, here's the issue with that. If you do mandatory days off for a certain population, and then your CEO is still working or leaders are still working, then you're just going to come back to a slew of emails. And that 
makes you feel overwhelmed coming back. Like there's already a feeling of being overwhelmed, of not feeling comfortable taking that time off. So I think you also need to process how as an organization or how you as a leader or how you as an employee are functioning during time off and how you want to repivot that. Absolutely. It's a tough topic, but it's an important one. It's definitely an important topic that we've got to figure out how to get our hands around. Overall, I think what's really most critical is that everybody just stops to focus on what's going on with their people. Are we driving too much towards the bottom line and not focusing and prioritizing our people? I think there's a balance of how you can do both. Don't get me wrong. I understand the importance of profitability and EBITDA, but at what cost to your employee population and what message are you sending? So. I think you think a little bit about that. You process it. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any more questions. Until next time, everybody. Take care. Bye.